by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 25, and this is the Lord Jesus talking. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So division is not a good thing. Division will ruin your family. Division, of course, will ruin your marriage. If, if in your marriage, it's you against them, you know how we get that mentality? The devil gets in there and makes us think, you get to bickering back and forth, well, I've got my money, he's not getting none of it, or I've got my bank account over here, she don't know about it. We get that attitude, it's me against them, right? You're supposed to be a team, not two teams fighting against one another. You're one flesh. And man, you, when, when she has a need, that becomes your need. And so marriage needs to get all the division out of it. The household needs to get the division out. The church, oh, no division. God talks extensively about unity within the church. But when I read that scripture today, a couple days before, the ballot box on Tuesday, you were probably thinking about America. Because no kingdom divided against itself can stand. It will be brought to desolation. And we certainly are facing more division in the, the United States of America than we ever have. So we're going to dive right into that today. You know, I just wanted to do a feel-good message. I said, we're eating after this. I want to do, Lord, just give me a happy 20-minute message and let's go eat. But it, I got to go with what he gives me. And I've been working on this all week. I'm not a political, I don't get political from up here. I want you to understand, my first allegiance is to Christ. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to drive any away because they're a Republican or because they're a Democrat. I don't want there to be division in the house of God. We're all children of God. So I try to say things in a way that comes from a biblical perspective. And it can speak for itself. You know, nations are hard things to keep together. Really, in the scheme of things, America has doing, been doing pretty good for a couple hundred years now. So it's no surprise that we will go through times you know, the children of Israel were God's example that he used to show the evolution, so to speak, of a nation. The things that they go through, an example for us to learn from. God was Israel's king originally. And with God at the helm, it was hard to keep them together. 
You know why? Because people are knuckleheads. If you've ever worked in retail, you know what I mean. Just dealing with people is hard. So God was Israel's king, but Israel says, we want another king. We want a human king like all the other nations. God said, you sure about that? It really hurt God's feelings, but he said, I'll give you what you want. And he gave them a big old tall, good-looking fellow named Saul. And Saul became king. And what's the first thing? I mean, it didn't take him long. The kingdom became about him, what he could get out of it. He wasn't serving God. He wasn't serving the people. It was about what he could get out of it. And that's the problem in politics today. You got too many people have been in there multiple terms. They may have went in wanting to serve their country, but they've been there so long it becomes about them and what they can get out of America. That's why I'm a strong proponent of term limits. Get in, serve your country, and get out. But anyway, Saul, he, he was uh, king, I think, for 40 years. And boy, he, ha he about had the, the kingdom messed up by the time David came in there. They were wanting to split. In fact, when David... Uh, became king after Saul had some of the kingdoms weren't following David and it took a, a while for the kingdoms to come back together so being united as a kingdom is a thing you have to work for but David was a man after God's own heart and he followed the Lord he he put God first say put God first that's what a nation must do that has leaders that put God first and David did a pretty good job in his years as king. And then when he turned it over to his son Solomon, how many remember Solomon's the one that built God's temple? David wanted to build it, but God said, no, I'm going to use your son Solomon. And Solomon, he had saw his daddy follow after God with all his heart, and he wanted to do the same thing. He, he, Solomon started out so hmm, hungry for God to be a good servant to this people. So much so that God came down and said, Solomon, what can I do for you? Now, what would you do if God came down? So I, I'll grant you one wish. What, what can I do for you? You know God can do anything. Oh, some of y'all thinking about stuff in Walmart right now. So. <laughs> Come on, think bigger. You know. Target at least, you know, so I don't know. But... <laughs> Some of you down at the Mercedes Benz place right now in your mind. He said, I'll do one thing for you. I'll, I'll do, I'll, what can I do for you is the way I think he phrased it. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for even a long life. He didn't ask for fame and fortune. He said, God, that you might give me the wisdom to lead your people well. Wow. That touched God's heart right there. That's the, that's the prayer. I, I don't know if you believe me or not, but that's what I pray above everything. Is that God would give me the, the wisdom to lead his people well. To be a good shepherd to you. That's the most important. Don't let me get in the way, God. 
Don't let me stop the move of the Holy Spirit. Don't let me miss it, God. Don't let me lead them astray and cause and, and just wander in the desert for 20 years with these people. Help me lead them straight to the promised land. Help us accomplish all that you have for our church. But I need wisdom. I need God's wisdom to do that. I can't do that in my own strength. I don't have that kind of wisdom. I'm not that. I was never even a leader until God made me one. Help me be a servant leader. And God, he saw that heart in Solomon. He said, I tell you what, son, since you didn't ask for all those things for yourself, but you asked for wisdom to lead my people, I'm going to give you the wisdom that you asked for, and I'm going to give you all the other things too. And boy, he did. Solomon became the richest, most famous king and the wisest of all. I mean, people came from far nations to travel just to hear the wisdom of this man. What has Solomon got to say? How is he running the country? Because everything he touched was with the wisdom of God. And it was beautiful. The, the kingdom grew. It was nice under David. But under Solomon, it says it, it was so prosperous that just it was like silver was like the dust on the ground. It was so plentiful. I mean, everybody had whatever their heart. It was like living in America. It might have been a better kingdom, a more free kingdom than America. Solomon built that temple. Oh, he built the most beautiful, glorious temple and a place for God's people to worship. And you're thinking, well, they got it all together. They'll be all right during Solomon's reign. But you know what happened? Life. Life is not a sprint. Solomon was like a shooting star. And he began to burn out. And he began to think about himself. He was corrupted by three things. Power. Y'all ever heard that statement that says that power corrupts and absolute power is corrupted absolutely or something along those lines? Absolutely corrupts or something? I mean, it's something about power. You have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you're in power, you, it's hard. You need a humility, humility check daily. Especially if you're the king of this wonderful kingdom and people are coming to you and bowing down. It was pride. It was the power. It was the pride. And he loved pleasure. He could have anything he wanted. And it seemed like he did. The Bible says he had over a thousand women in his life. Whether they be wives or that he had married. Something called concubines. I don't know what that is. Sounds like the side chick or something. I don't know. But he had them. He had them. And some of them were for different nations and served other gods. And Solomon started this slow fade. And God came down off of first place in his life. And all these other false gods came up on the pedestal. He thought that that was going to be okay. But how many of you know that ain't going to work? He began to build all these beautiful buildings and these structures dedicated to himself. And he began to do it on the backs of his own people. You know, God tells us that a servant must be the leader of all. I know, no, a, a leader must be the servant of all. Sorry, I got that backwards. <laughs> but that's what Solomon did. He got it backwards. <laughs> Instead of Serving the people, 
he began to use the people and place heavy loads on their back for his own pleasure. It's a sad story. Somebody really started out good. But it happens in our lives, doesn't it? If we're not careful, if we don't stay humble, if we don't stay, if we don't have structure in our life, before you know it, we'll start that slow fade away from God. We will. Don't matter if you're the pastor, don't matter who you are. You have to work to stay united to Christ, just like you have to work to stay united as a nation, like you have to work to stay united as a marriage, like you have to work to stay united as a family. Unity doesn't come easy. And so by the time he, he handed off the kingdom to who was supposed to be the next king, Rehoboam, his son, it was in pretty rough shape. The people of the nation were a little bit upset, and they went to Rehoboam. And they tried to reason with him. Solomon's dead now, and you're supposed to be the king, Rehoboam. Uh, sir, your dad was rough on us. Your dad was placing a heavy load on us, too much to bear. And we want to serve you because we understand that, that God is doing this. This is our nation, and we want to be united. But we ask, can you lighten our load some? Lighten our load some. Rehoboam said, let me think about this. Give me three days, and we'll meet back together. Well, the first thing he should have done is what? Yeah. That's, the, that's where you get your wise counsel. But I don't think he did that. I think he, but he, he, he did the second best thing. He went to some wise counselors. He got some godly counsel. Some people, some wise old sages. People old enough to appreciate all the lives that had been given for the nation of Israel. People wise enough to, to recognize the blood and the sweat and the tears of the previous generations who had fought to build the nation that they now enjoyed, the freedom and the prosperity that they had. They, they, these were people that realized that that stuff didn't just grow on trees. It wasn't free. Somebody laid down their lives to provide the freedom that we enjoy. These were men who understood true history of the nation of Israel. They had respect for the shoulders that they were standing on. And when you lose that as a nation, and your history is erased, and you begin to rewrite your history, oh, how ungrateful you can be. How unthankful. And so their guidance to Rehoboam was found in 2 Chronicles Chapter 10, verse 7, it says, They spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. They're saying, Be a servant to your people. Love your people. Take care of your people. Don't make it about you. And they'll serve you. They, they, want to be, they want to serve you. Speak good to them. These people knew that more government was not the answer. I believe that they knew that the true strength of a nation is trusting in God and not in government. 
a government who will eventually start thinking that they're smarter than God. You see, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you put people in office and they've been there too long and they make it about themselves, they got to remove God so that they can go to the next level. I would say this, never trust the promises of government over the principles of God. And say it again. Never trust the promises of government. How I many know they make a lot of promises? Some people will vote whatever they say it's free. They're getting something free. Never trust the promises of the government over the principles of God. So Rehoboam listened to this wise counsel. And he should have just stopped there, but he didn't. He went to his peers, guys his age, guys fresh off the turnip truck. They got their knowledge fresh from manipulated textbooks that had spoke a, a different history over the nation than the truth, than the sacrifice that had really been sacrificed for the nation. They didn't understand sacrifice. They were just young. They were just believing what they wanted to believe. And they told Rehoboam, you go tell those people you're going to be harder than their daddy. You let them know who's boss. And they spoke rashly. There was no wisdom in their counsel. And you know what Rehoboam did? He listened to those knuckleheads instead of the wise counsel. And three days later, when he met back with the people, he said, I tell you what, you think my daddy was tough. You cross me and see what happens. I'm going to place a bigger load on your back. You're going to get the work done. I tell you, I'm... You're going to see how strong I am. I'm stronger than my daddy ever. Well, he was bragging. He did not speak nicely to the people. He spoke harshly. And I guess he thought it was going to work and that he was going to intimidate the people. But the people left and they said, come on, let's go home. We're not following this guy. And 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel left that day and the kingdom split. Only Judah, from which Rehoboam came, and only, I think it was Benjamin, and some of the priests, the Levites, stayed with Rehoboam. And they called it Judah. And the other ten, they found a guy close to Rehoboam, his name was Jeroboam, and they made him king. And they split into two kingdoms. I think Judah was on the south, and Israel was up north, Israel's uh, king, uh, main city was Samaria, and the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. And if you even remember during Jesus' day, many, many, many years later, it was the same way. You remember Jesus talking about the Samaritans and how the Jews hated the Samaritans? The rift was still there. Do you know it's never been healed? That Judah and Israel have never come back together. You say, well, they're all, in 1948, they came back together as a nation. We just put Jerusalem, our embassy in Jerusalem again. 
I thought they came back together. No, that's mostly Judah that came back. They called the nation Israel, oddly enough, but it's mostly the tribe of Judah and Benjamin that's over there, and the, and the rest of the ten tribes are still spread throughout the world for the most part. And there's never been an official coming back together and uniting of the kingdom of, of God's children Israel, the Jews. When Rehoboam realized that the people were not going to follow him, he gathered his armies. He said, we're going to make them follow us. You know you can't make somebody love you? But he was going to try. And he got his army together, and they headed off, and they were going to go to war against their brothers. And that's when God finally intervened and stepped in and said, Rehoboam, you turn these troops back around, and you go home. You will not fight against your brother. Say, you will not fight against your brother. And that leads me to talk about America. A nation divided politically with force. Do you understand that there's an evil, there are evil forces that thrive on division? The devil himself is there to, to conquer by division. That's where it all stems from. And so there's, there's forces at work in America trying to divide us by race, by class, even by gender, by our, what they call sexual orientation. Divided any way possible. But mostly, what we're dealing with with the election is a political divide, an ideology dispute of how we see America going forward. And what do you do when both camps will swear up and down and beat their chest that I am right and you are wrong and there is no compromise to be had? They watch their news channel and they don't want to hear what you got to say and they're not watching your news channel. Why do we have different news channels? I thought news was supposed to be news. Where do you find news now? You don't. And I'm going to say something that's really, really spooky. It's been whispered about in the halls of America recently. I've even heard it on TV. The term civil war. I've never been to war, but I've heard about people who have. And I can't imagine being on the streets of America and shooting fellow citizens. Shooting, killing people because they believe differently about the path forward. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, God would say to us as a nation right now, don't fight against your brothers. Turn that, turn that army back around. That is not the way forward. So what do we do as Christians? How do we distinguish ourselves in this hostile climate? I told you this wasn't a shouting message, didn't I? Well, I wrote down three things. I mean, there's so many things, but, I, you know, communication, civility, and compassion. 
communication. Like I said, it's hard to talk to somebody. If you disagree, they're immediately going to call you xenophobic, racist. They're going to call you some names, depending on, I guess, what side of the division you're on. They're going to call you different things. How do you communicate? Well, first you must show some civility. We must lead the way in civility. We must show people that we can communicate without raising our voice, even though I never do. (laughs) And we must have compassion. I know it's just easier to hate somebody. Because that's your nature, your sin nature talking. But we're born again children of God. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love your God which you have not seen? We have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. We should be civil and we should have compassion. We're supposed, we're called to love our enemies. Y'all ain't liking this message at all, I'm assuming. Y'all going to cancel pastor appreciation if I keep going. I'm just telling them about love their enemies. I mean, it's good. I mean, before the political divide, we was loving everybody. Oh, yeah, I love my enemies. That wouldn't be hard to talk about. But now it's hitting home, ain't it? Because you have fallen on one side. And you have to a certain degree, begin to take the devil's bait. I'm not saying just you. I'm talking about me too. I got strong feelings about how America should go forward. But I don't think it should be at the expense of a civil war or even talk of a civil war or at the expense of can't get along. I don't see it on the streets the way that the news is reporting it. I can go anywhere, and I get along with everybody. I don't see the way they make it out to be. I think we're being played. And I think we as Christians need to see the bigger picture. Yes, there are divisions about the way forward, but they need to be talked about civilly. We need to learn to have a discussion. Communication, civility, compassion, but I'm going to say the fourth thing. We can't have compromise. Well, wait, Pastor, aren't we supposed to compromise and we come together and we give a little? There's a little give and take. I'm not saying there's no compromise. But I'm talking about compromise with what you know to be against the Word of God. You cannot compromise with that. In Psalms 119, verse 2, it says, Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil. They do not. And they walk only in his paths. So you can argue, you can talk to them and you can see their side, but you don't go over there. You don't go over there to try to get along. You have to hold your ground. Colossians 2.8 says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. What do you get when you turn on the TV? (laughs) It's almost like y'all practice that. But it's so obvious, the answer. 
empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Spiritual powers of this world. He's not talking about godly powers. He's talking about those demons that was cast down here. The little G God of this world, the devil and his imps that are causing the division and bringing all this high-sounding nonsense into the, to the, through the powers of the air, the radio waves and the TVs. Don't listen to that. Listen rather to Christ. Our founding fathers uh, were hoping that a day like this would never come. Our first president, George Washington, he said, religion and morality are the essential pillars of a civil society. What is a pillar? It holds it together. It holds it up. And he said, religion and morality. And when he's talking about religion, let me just go ahead and say he's talking about Christianity. He's not talking about Islam. America was not formed on Islam. It was Christianity. They, our forefathers didn't mince words about that. When they said religion, they meant the Christian religion. Religion and morality are the essential pillars of a civil society. They must be there. Our second president, John Adams, he said it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles from which freedom can securely stand. If we're going to have freedom, we've got to have Christianity and morality. Now, not everybody's going to be a Christian. I'm not saying that the whole nation has to be a Christian. But there must be some morality in the nation. And without the Christianity, there's going to be no morality. So you've got to have Christianity and morality and to have the principles from which freedom can even be birthed and have a chance to survive. He said the only foundation of a free, constitu a free constitution is pure virtue. In other words, they're saying that our Constitution was written for a moral and a religious people. And it will not survive. We will not survive as a nation the moment we cast off God and our morality. And there are forces in the world right now that are doing just that. Let's remove, let's remove every bit of God from the public view. Separation of church and state taken out of context and used against us. To take Christianity out. Let's tear down that wall of morality in the United States. Let's break the family up. Let's cause them to divide in all these different ways. And they think that's going to help America? It's going to destroy America. Benjamin Franklin said only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. You're putting yourself in bondage when you go along with this division in America. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have need of more masters. How corrupt is America right now? Our politicians. It's disgusting. And now they're becoming vicious. And he says, when, th these people wrote this back in 1776 in, in that era. Hundreds of years ago, they were hoping this day wouldn't arrive where we would have need of more masters because we can't even control ourselves. What he means more masters, they mean more laws 
And with more laws come more lawyers. Nahon, Severovich, and Trotz, and Morgan and Morgan. That alone should wake us up. <laughs> the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said in 1824, no free government now exists in the world unless Christianity is acknowledged and the religion and is the religion of the country. And I think it was true back then and I think it's true today. Christianity is the religion of freedom. It is Christ that sets you free. It is only Christ. It is only the truth that will set you free and it is only the truth that will set a nation free. And boy, when you get off of that rock, how quickly you can fall. Five years ago, I could not have seen us where we are today. So how does God bring victory out of this impossibility? That's what we've been talking about. Our, our series is uh, that God goes before us in battle. That's the title of our series. And we talked about God always being able to, to provide victory when it looks like it's impossible. And it looks impossible in America right now. There's no way we're going to be united. It's gone too far. It's too much has been said. But today's message is entitled, I've got good news. Say good news. The good news is our victory is still found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, say amen. The very word gospel means good news. I've got good news and you've got good news. And who went before us in battle? Jesus did 2,000 years ago. The victory was secured back on Calvary when he was raised from that tomb. The gospel message, the sacrificial death of Jesus. The burial and then the subsequent resurrection back to the newness of life. Literally, those are the, those are the words of eternal life. And we possess them. They were our victory. It was what our nation was formed on, and it is what will bring our nation back together again. Well, I'm preaching real good. The gospel is the saving, overcoming, everlasting victory of our nation. A miracle was founded on this rock. Our hope must be found again in the cross of Christ. It is the power to change the most vile hearts. You, th you look at people saying, well, they're not going to change. They're just, there's no hope for them. Did he change you? Did he change you? Did that gospel radically change you? Are you the same that you used to be after you met Jesus? If you are, you ain't really met Jesus. It changed you. And it can change the nation. But it needs the Christians to believe. To believe it. You're saying you sound like a Baptist preacher up there, Pastor. You sound like Dr. Adrian Rogers. I heard him preach, the gospel is the power. I hope I sound like Dr. Adrian Rogers. Because he was right about that. But see, we, we shout amen. 
We shout amen about all these things. That's what we want to hear, but we've heard it so many times it becomes a cliche. Is there any power of the gospel left in your life? There was an explorer in the early years of America who wanted to go west and see what America had on the other side of the river. And he got to the great Mississippi and he realized there's no, no bridge across that thing. It's a long way across. So how am I going to get across? But it happened to be in the middle of the winter and it was frozen solid across. But he didn't know about that. I want to get out here. The ice break, freeze to death, fall in the Mississippi River. So he got down on his hands and knees. He was listening for cracks. And that ice, he was testing it a little bit at a time. And boy, he just kept on doing that. He, he'd get a little bit further out, but he just, sure, on the other side, it's fixing to cave in. But he just goes a little bit at a time. About a, two hours into this, he's about halfway across the Mississippi. And he hears some noise behind him. It's singing. And he gently turns so he don't crack the ice. And he looks, and his four horses pulling a wagon full of coal. And the guy sitting up on there with, holding the reins is just singing the gospel of the Jesus Christ. Just barrels right past him on a cross. And see, which one are you? Some of you have been in Christianity 20 years. You're still on your hands and knees. Is this going to work? I'm still doing I'm not sure. And some of us are carrying the load across that river and singing on the way. Some of us believe the power of the gospel because we preach it and we've seen it change lives. We're not testing the waters anymore. We're all in. There was a town in America one time that was experiencing extreme drought. And the mayor says, the whole town, I want you to, we're getting together tonight at the church, and we're going to pray for rain. And the town began to show that afternoon, and they come from all over, and they all came in the church, and only one little girl thought to bring an umbrella. <laughs> we pray and we talk, but we don't really believe. If we did, we would be sharing this gospel. Y'all would be saying, Pastor, when are you going to put together another one of those teachings to, to show me how to share the gospel? Pastor, I can't wait. Can we do it today? But we put together a class, and if one or two people show up, maybe, and we've guilted them into it. We don't believe the gospel. Just enough for us. Revelations 12, 11 says they overcame him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We all want the blood of the lamb. Oh, we want to be forgiven. We want to know our sins are washed away. We want to know we got a home in heaven, but where's the word of our testimony? Will the, will the real church please rise? Will the church have a voice here at the end of this nation? Will we unite and have a voice? 
in this critical hour? Or are we over there stocking up on food and firepower like the world? You know, there's been more gun sales this year in America than in the history of mankind. You can't find ammo right now. People are serious. And the church isn't. What the world? What the world? You all ought to be here on Tuesday night for prayer. Every Tuesday. You all ought to be asking me, Pastor, how do I share the gospel? Can you put one of those classes back together? You all ought to be coming to the next step class. If you care about your nation, your fellow man, and you don't want to see division to the point of civil war in America. You can't win your brother when you're planning on killing your brother. No matter, no matter who wins at the ballot box Tuesday, let me tell you this. The battle for the soul of America goes on. Whether your man wins or not, we still have a job to do. For America's victory is not in a politician, but it is in the Great Commission. Let me say that again. Because some of you need to hear this. America's victory is not in a politician. It is still in the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. If you have to do it one heart at a time, that is the only way to change America. You don't change America by changing minds, but by changing hearts. Minds are fickle without a heart to hook up to. Without the power of God resting on the inside of you. And we must win this generation. We must communicate and be civil and have compassion on our brothers. Without compromising to do it. I better, I better wrap up. Y'all ain't handling this. Acts 2, uh, no, Acts 20, verse 24. Apostle Paul says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's your ministry. We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're an ambassador for Christ. And he said, I don't even count my life nothing. That my, my joy is in running my race so that I may receive from the Lord that crown. And I may testify. That's his joy, to testify to the, the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has your life grown dull and unexciting? And you're saying, where's the joy of my Christianity? You've become a cesspool of me. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's coming out of you to other people. I'm going to skip a scripture here. And close like this. The gospel... 
is the answer for the reconciliation of Judah and Israel too. Remember we started talking about them? God's not through with them. I mean, if it's been some probably 3,000 years, I don't know, I didn't measure it, three, 4,000 years since they split as a kingdom and God still has a plan to reunite them, do you think he's through with America? In Ezekiel 37, verse 22, the Lord says, I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule over them all. Who is that one king, you think? No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves with idols and vile images and rebellion. For I will save them from their sinful apostasy. I will cleanse them and they will truly be my people and I will be their God. And in Galatians 3.26, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Christ Jesus, you have been united into God's family. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You ain't supposed to walk in the old nasty clothes you had before Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, no longer slave nor free, nor male nor female, and you could add there's no longer Democrat or Republican. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And I would dare to say that the Republicans don't have it all together, neither do the Democrats. And if we all come to Christ Jesus, we'll come up with a better crowd. I just make this stuff up. America needs Jesus. Now more than ever, he's, he was the answer. This is why we're here as a nation. That's why they came across the ocean, so that they could worship Jesus without government interference. We need Jesus. And the gospel is the story about Jesus. And people need to hear it. And America needs Christians riding on that four-horse wagon fast as they can go. Come on, y'all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Going across that river. Bringing a whole load of sinners with them to get saved. We need to be carrying our umbrella everywhere we go as we pray for the latter rain. Jesus is still the answer for America. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.